Today on this Father's Day edition of Graceful Truth, our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse, will take us to the book of Luke as we take a look at the prodigal son. But the picture here is the waiting father is out in the fields and he's waiting, he's longing, he's hoping, he's looking. And the, the parable tells us when the prodigal returns, even when he is still far off, The father runs, which is a shameful thing to do. And he embraces and he welcomes and he restores his son. Just one step toward God today, my friend. Just one step toward God. And he will run to you with his arms open wide to embrace you, to welcome you, to restore you, to forgive you, to give you a place in his household dress you in the privileges of sonship, daughterhood. He loves you. He's a God of grace. He's a waiting father. Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City is up next. Join us. Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth. Greetings and welcome to today's broadcast. As we celebrate Father's Day today, we can't help but notice the greatest father of them all, our Heavenly Father, and just exactly how much He really loves us. That's the focus of today's broadcast. We would invite you to join us here in the book of Luke as well as Genesis. We begin with a look at Abraham and his son Isaac and how a willing father portrays the willingness of a heavenly father through his son Jesus Christ that you and I might have eternal salvation. It is a glorious Father's Day look at our Supreme Father. We would invite you to join us now for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here now, our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse. Well, happy Father's Day, dads. Did you know that every month, almost 350,000 men become fathers for the first time? And they do so with little or no training. And it seems that they're thrust into the most important role in our society today. I read an article one time about a country doctor who was delivering the 10th child in the 10th year of the couple's marriage there on a farm in the Midwest. Now that's 10 kids in 10 years, one per year. That's probably not real good for the health of the woman involved. A little overdone, I would say. But after the 10th child was delivered, they were sitting around the table having some coffee, the father and the doctor. And the man of the house turned to the doctor and he said, you know, doc, we've had so many kids these last few years, I've run out of names. We don't know what we're going to call this one. And the doctor thoughtfully put down his coffee, turned to the man, the father, and said, I'd call it quits. Well, (laughs) that's pretty good advice for someone who's popped out 10 in 10 years. But every month, almost 350,000 men become fathers. Well, The Bible tells us what we need to do in order to be a good father. And today we're going to be looking at a few verses in Scripture that teach us about our Heavenly Father. 
One day, a woman made the mistake of leaving her baby daughter in her husband's care while she was doing some work in another room. He immediately buried himself in the newspaper, forgot all about the baby, until he heard a series of thumps, followed by a horrendous cry. Instantly, he knew that the baby had fallen down the stairs. And he called out to his wife, and here's what he said. Honey, come quick. Our little girl just took her first 24 steps. Now, moms, you have a certain way with children and and, and kids, but there's also a place for a father's role in the home. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this is a very familiar text to most of us. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, our Father which art in heaven. Many people can quote that. And that's a tremendous thought when you stop and think of Father's Day, that we have a Father who is in heaven. What a privilege to be able to address the mighty maker of all things as our Father. Now there are several places in the Bible where God is described. He describes himself in terms of fatherhood. In Psalm 68, 5, it says that he is a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. That's our God. In Psalm 103, verse 13, it describes him as a father, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Isaiah 63, verse 16 says, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from everlasting is your name. And then also in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 to 11, Jesus says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I rejoice today that we have a Father in heaven. The desires are best. In John 20, verse 17, it says, After he rose from the dead, Jesus told Mary to go to his disciples and tell them that he was alive. And he said, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I don't know what Father's Day means to you individually. It means different things to different people. I know I have several pictures of my own father, photographs. He died when I was only seven years old. So I don't have too many memories of him, but I do have those pictures. My dad was a medical doctor. He served in the U.S. Army during World War II and the Korean War. And he was also a father of seven boys and two girls. He died at a young age of 55, just three years after my mom had passed away. I was only seven years old. Maybe some of you here today don't have your father here physically to celebrate Father's Day with. Maybe some of you have never experienced having a father. Or maybe that experience somehow has been tarnished in some way. Well, just as I cherish the pictures of my earthly father, there are pictures in the Bible that reveal something of our heavenly father, something of God's character. And today I want to talk to you about the fatherhood of God. I want to look at these pictures of fatherhood from the Bible. 
And each of us shows us aspect of the great father heart of God. The first, and you can turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. This is a picture of a willing father. Picture of a willing father. It's a story of Abraham and his son Isaac. Very familiar story. Genesis chapter 22. And I'll just look at verses 1 to 3 and set up the story. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And so Abraham, verse 3, rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Abraham was a willing father. In his love and devotion to God, he was willing to be obedient in sacrificing his own son. Now, think of this. This was the boy that God had promised him. And he had waited years for his wife, Sarah, to conceive. And yet, at the word of God, Abraham took his son up to Mount Moriah with Isaac carrying the wood for the fire of his own sacrifice. Not only do we have a willing father here, but evidently we have a willing son also. It's very doubtful he was a little boy. He was probably most likely a young man, teenager, certainly strong enough to carry wood up the mountain. But God had spoken to his father. And they went together willingly. And Abraham stood on that mountain, no doubt with his vision blurred by tears streaming down his face. And as he raised that knife to sacrifice his own beloved son, at the last possible moment, when God saw that he was obedient, the story tells us, that the angel of the Lord called him to stop. For now I know that you fear God, is what the text says. Those of us who are fathers here today can only marvel at this total obedience and faith. What a test. God, likewise, is the willing father. Picture this. In his love and his devotion to us as his creation was prepared to give up his own son, His son, Jesus, was willing to be obedient and carry his own cross up a mountainside, a hill called Calvary, to give his life a sacrifice. Here, Abraham was given a reprieve because it was a test. But you know what? There was no such reprieve for God. It was more than a test. We hung in the balance. See, God went all the way and he gave his son for us. Because you have to understand, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, it cut the entire human race off from God. Right to this present day, man has continued in his sins. 
And the Bible says that the wages of sin, our sin, is death. Everlasting death. Everlasting separation from a holy God. And when God gave up his only son to death, he was dying in our place. Providing a substitute sacrifice. So that whoever believes in him, the Bible says, trusting him to be their savior, can be forgiven and come back into a right relationship with God, their creator, forever. Our heavenly father was willing, in love and in devotion, to give us his dear son. A willing father. Well, the second picture I'd like you to see this morning is found in 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18. And this is the story of a wailing father. A wailing father. This is the story when King David's son Absalom had plotted treason against his own father. He raised an army of discontents and he he sought to bring about a military coup and take over his father's throne. Can you imagine David's loyal Soldiers under General Joab's command went out to stop them in battle. And they did. And in fighting, Absalom himself was killed. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 24 to 33. 2 Samuel 18, 24 to 33. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked. And there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king. And the king said, if he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and he drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, there is another man running alone. And the king said, he also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he is a good man and comes with good news. So Ahimaz called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the man who raised their hand against my Lord and King. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimez answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came, And the Cushite said, there is good news, my lord, the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. Then the king was deeply moved. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. 
O Absalom, my son, my son. Here is David, heartbroken over the death of his son, Absalom. Absalom hadn't been a faithful son. He dealt treacherously with his father. He sought to overthrow him from his throne. But David perhaps remembers Absalom as that little boy who he used to bounce on his knee as he watched that youth grow up before him into manhood. Manhood. It was his flesh, his blood. See, true fathers don't stop loving their children. David loved Absalom. At the news of his death, David's heart was torn. See, here's a picture of God. God takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. He loves us. We've all turned our back on God and we've gone our own way, the Bible says. And so many refuse to return, even after his willingness to give up his son for us. But God still remembers how it should have been, how it could have been. He knows the plans that he had for us, the relationship he wanted with us. See, God's heart is broken. There's even a glimpse of this in Jesus' words over Jerusalem. It sounds very much like David's words over Absalom. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Israel would not receive Jesus. Matter of fact, it rejected him, and therefore it rejected God and rejected God's kingdom. Jesus' heart was broken. God's heart as a father is broken by the people who live without him. Our God's a holy God, beloved. He cannot look on sin condoningly. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. There's no fragment of sin in his perfect nature. God loves you with a committed and everlasting love, a love more real and powerful than anything you have ever known. But don't mistake that for some human sentimentality that somehow is able to sweep your sin under the carpet and overlook it. He can't do that. He's a holy God. He has to be just. God's holiness, his justice, means that he will banish people to hell forever because of their sin and the rejection of his offer of salvation through his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible's very clear about that. But he's not going to do so gladly, but mournfully, with a broken heart. The wailing father, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his desire. 2 Samuel 14, 14 says, For he will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. God devises means. He goes to extraordinary lengths and works extravagant plans so that people can be saved. God sent prophets to prepare the way. He fashioned history 
to prepare a time. And when the fullness of that time had come, the Bible says that he sent his only son to live and to die for us, that we, the banished ones, may not be expelled from him forever. Having done all this, do you think he won't be heartbroken when people keep going on without him, lost in their sin, rejecting his free offer of salvation? It breaks his heart. The wailing father. The last picture that I want to share with you this morning is in Luke 15. And that's the story of the waiting father. Parable, we're very familiar with it. We're not going to go into detail. Remember the famous story Jesus told, the story of the prodigal son. Man had two sons. See, this is the son who had walked away from the father's house. Gone off and been rebellious, squandered everything the father had given him. But the picture here is the waiting father is out in the fields and he's waiting, he's longing, he's hoping, he's looking. And the the parable tells us when the prodigal returns, even when he is still far off, the father runs, which is a shameful thing to do. And he embraces and he welcomes and he restores his son. Just one step toward God today, my friend. Just one step toward God. And he will run to you with his arms open wide to embrace you, to welcome you, to restore you, to forgive you, to give you a place in his household, dress you in the privileges of sonship, daughterhood. He loves you. He's a God of grace. He's awaiting Father, bow your heads with me in prayer this morning. What's your response to the waiting father today? Will you come home? Will you cast yourself on his great mercy today? Will you take part of his grace today? Will you say, Father, I've sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But I believe that you willingly gave up Your son, Jesus, to die in my place, to take my death penalty. I believe you bankrupted heaven to keep me out of hell, to welcome me home. And I don't want to ignore that sacrifice anymore. Father, I want to repent of my sins, turn to you, and ask for your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. See, when God hears that simple prayer of trust in Jesus... You're going to find a waiting father who will receive you. He'll take you as his own son or daughter. And you'll live with him forever. Lord, we thank you for this message this morning. And we pray for those who may not have a physical father here to celebrate Father's Day with. But we do pray that you would remind them that there's a heavenly father. Who desires to know them intimately. Who's waiting for them to respond to his offer of salvation. We pray that they would respond today in faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A marvelous look at our Heavenly Father here on this Father's Day edition of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor Stephen Converse. A look at a Heavenly Father that oftentimes we lose sight of. We tend to want to look at our Heavenly Father through the eyes that are finite, eyes that understand our earthly fathers, 
And we can't do that. We have to be held captive to the Word of God and stick to what God's Word has to say and look beyond our earthly fathers, the foibles and fallacies that we find in each and every one of them, including ourselves, men. And we have to be held captive to the Word of God and the infinite love and the infinite truth and righteousness and perfection that is found in God alone. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are, and if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.